Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will be uh, John 14, verses 1 through 14. Uh, And you can find that on page 1,675 of your pew Bible. Before we read, let us open in prayer. Father in heaven, as we open your word, open our ears and our hearts and our minds. Bless your servant. Let his words shine your light into our hearts. Amen. Page 1675, John 14, verse 1. This picks up kind of mid-sentence right after Jesus has predicted his betrayal and predicted Peter's denial. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. This really is uh, part two on this passage just to, to kind of orient everybody, we, we engaged the same passage last week but spent our time on the first couple verses. And this week we're going to shift our attention more towards the end of the passage. Um, but hopefully it still makes sense even though some of you weren't here last week to hear the first part. Uh, this Sunday, it's called Ascension Sunday. It, it marks uh, the time in the, the liturgical calendar or the Christian calendar in which we recognize that Jesus ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. It's in that that space in in the historical time when you read the scriptures where, where Jesus is gone and his disciples are waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit and there's this this posture of waiting and anticipation. It's actually a, a pattern that shows up in multiple places in Scripture of, of Jesus' disciples having to wait. 
one of the other ones, perhaps a, even a more intense, poignant one, is the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. Right? Good Friday, they see Jesus die, and he is dead and in the tomb. And that Saturday of emptiness and darkness and silence. And then Easter Sunday. And Jesus coming back, and they can scarcely believe what they're hearing and they're seeing and, and the wonder. And, but there is that space in between death and resurrection. This has that same type of waiting space, that space in between. And, and in reality, it is the mark of much of our lives. Although we're not living between the Ascension and Pentecost, we do live between Pentecost the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' promised return. And the church has been living in the space of waiting for 2,000 years. Sometimes that waiting's hard. Sometimes that waiting is easy. I want to give us some, uh, a little bit of, of prompting to think about waiting for a moment. So, so just in your mind, start thinking about what is a time or place that you often find yourself waiting. I'm going to give you one that happens annually. Sitting down to get the license plate tags renewed. Normally, it is kind of time-consuming, right? How many people, when they go to renew the license plate tags, they bring a book, they bring something else, they bring hopefully not bringing crying kids with you because it's a long wait, right? This was mine last year. I'm not giving this picture. I know it's a little hard to see. There was nobody in there. I walked in, I sat down in the chair, and as soon as I sat down, they called my number. <laughs> I got to go up right away. I was out within five minutes. So it was one of those experiences. I was expecting to wait and then really didn't have to wait that long. But that's not normal. Normally we have a lot of waiting. Birthday and Christmas. We actually developed a rule in our family that you may not start talking about your birthday until one calendar month before your birthday. Because when the birthday present requests come in six months ahead of time, yeah, some of you are laughing because you understand. <laughs> How about school to begin or at this time of year, school to end and graduation? The other shoe to drop. I, I've talked with a few people recently who are like, life is so good right now, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Something to happen that just upsets everything. Even when things are going well, we have this sense of waiting with us, waiting for something to go wrong, something that's going to throw things off. Maybe we're waiting for test results to come in. A wedding day? A, a friend or a loved one to call us. Checkout lanes. In traffic. Oh yeah, amens, yeah. 403, QEW, link. Suffering of a loved one to end. Sometimes waiting is heavy, isn't it? But it marks so much of our lives. Vacation. The Leafs to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Keep waiting, yeah. 
How long, O oh Lord, how long? And some people, some people say you'll wait longer for the Leafs to win than for Jesus to come back. And we're waiting for Jesus to come back. Actually, that's the posture of our Christian faith, isn't it? I mean, we wait for Jesus to come back, and, and the prompting for us as Christians, the question all of this waiting ends up evoking, and, and what it moves towards is how do we wait for Jesus to come back? How do we wait? What does it mean to wait? Is it like in a checkout lane where you just have to bide your time or look for another lane that's moving quicker and scoot over to that one? How do you wait? How do we wait for Jesus to come back? This John 14 passage really is Jesus preparing his disciples for this time of waiting. He's been saying to them, I'm going to leave you. I am going to go away. And it's going to be a place where you can't come with me right now, but trust me, I will come back for you. And in this context, he's saying, I'm, I'm making the way. In fact, I am the way. You have to have that relationship with me. Trust me. I'll take you with me. You'll be there with me, but there is going to be a space of waiting. Even though we are not doing it here this morning, I would encourage you to read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's a large chunk of Scripture all together, but it really is on all of this this preparation Jesus is doing with his disciples, saying, I'm going to leave you, but don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled in the waiting. I've got you. And as he reminds them that he's got a hold of them, he begins to tell them little things that they ought to be doing while they're waiting. And this passage unpacks some of that. Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. The end of John, after Jesus' resurrection and he's appeared to his disciples, he, he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And when he does, he, he says, I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you just as the Father has sent me. And, and here he's describing to his disciples how the Father has sent him. The Father has sent him to do good works in the midst of the people. But not to do it on his own, but to do it with the Father who's living in him. It's important to recognize this because Jesus is modeling for us here what it means to live in this waiting space. We need to recognize that Jesus has been walking on earth knowing full well what's coming. And he knows he's going to die and he's been living for this moment. In fact, several times in John, it says Jesus did not give himself over the crowd because it was not his time. It was not his time. And then you get to this stretch of John 13 to 17 and Jesus starts saying, knowing that the time was at hand. Jesus knew the time. He had been in this posture of waiting and in that waiting space, he was working with the Father, joining the Father in what the Father was doing. You think about that a minute. What was Jesus doing? What were some of the things? 
he was hanging out with people and partying with them so much he was getting called a glutton and a drunkard. He was with people in the midst of their ordinary living. He was with them. He was walking alongside a prostitute so much that that he's saying to her, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Even when the crowds wanted to condemn her and stone her to death. He came up alongside another woman who was at a well and, and he not only restored her in relationship to God, he restored her in relationship to the community of people around her. He healed a Syrian woman's child. He came alongside a military centurion and healed his child. He came along a synagogue pers- uh, leader and healed that person's child. He found a way into the brokenness and the suffering of people's lives around them. And he sat with them in it and he brought hope and healing and new life in the midst of their suffering. And we hear those words at the end of John, I'm sending you the way the Father has sent me. The way the Father sent Jesus was into the midst of people's suffering. Into the midst of their brokenness. And Jesus saying, if you don't believe I'm God, if you don't believe the Father and I are one, at least look at what I'm doing. I'm entering into people's suffering. And I'm bringing hope and healing and new life to them in the midst of their brokenness. Jesus continues right from there. It says, very truly, I tell you. It's actually a, an interesting construct in, in the Greek. It says, amen, amen. Amen, amen. I'm telling you, this is really, really, really true. Imagine, I mean, sometimes a kid who, who comes up to you and says, but I'm telling the truth. And they're really adamant about, that was the Greek construct here. When you wanted to make sure someone understood that you were being 100% true with what you were saying, you said, amen, amen, and then you said what, they were, what you were going to say. I'm telling you the truth. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now most of our attention, I, at least my attention, when I read this passage, goes to that, and they will do even greater things than these. And I think, how am I going to raise someone like Lazarus? All right, How am I going to heal a lame person and cause them to walk again? Like, I can't do the miracles that Jesus did. Anybody here done that? I, I, I mean, that's where we go. We get onto that little part and they will do even greater things than these because our attention goes to all the big miracles that Jesus did in the healing. And the church commentators from the early church fathers up until people writing commentaries just a couple years ago are still going, we've got no clue what that means. That we're going to do greater things than Jesus did. And I'm not here this morning to tell you what it means. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what Jesus was saying right there. But the rest of that passage does make sense. But whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. When we believe in Jesus and we start following Jesus, we're going to enter into that same pattern of walking with people who are suffering that Jesus did. We're going to enter into that same calling that Jesus had to go to the places where people are broken and hurting and join them in the midst of it and say, we're here with you 
because God was here with us in our suffering. Paul, as he's starting his second letter to the Corinthians, said that, uh, this prayer, essentially, of his, that we would comfort others with the comfort we have been given. As we come to Christ and we experience the forgiveness of sin, as we experience restored relationships, as we experience new life in Jesus Christ by overcoming addictions or whatever else is in our life that is broken, we're ushered into a posture where we take that blessing from God and we pass it along to others who are suffering. It's why we start at the start of the service, I do that, that greeting, and grace to you and peace from God the Father, from Jesus Christ the Lord, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And some of you put your hands out, and the very next thing, what do we do with that blessing? We turn around and we greet others, right? We turn around and we pass that blessing along. And, and Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, whatever I give to you, you're going to turn around and give it to others. This is the basic posture that he's teaching us. And he's saying, while you're waiting... While you're waiting for me to come back, take the blessings I've given you and find a way to give them to others. Find a way to pour into the people around you. This was driven home to me last fall. We were at a restaurant. It's called Chili's. Chili's Restaurant in Muskegon, Michigan. We were on our holidays, and this is what our silverware came in. It was put inside this little sleeve that said, we were put here to serve. Went, wow. They got the heart of what we're supposed to be doing as a church. I, I think in some sense we should have that on our sign that has nothing on it outside right now. That sign out there should simply be, we were put here to serve. And then our posture as a church should be turn around and live that out. Strive day in, day out, week in, week out. To live that motto. We were put here to serve. In fact, our mission statement starts off that way. We exist to serve our communities. That's the fundamental calling on us as Christians. That as we wait for Christ to return, we are called to serve others. We were put here to serve. One of the documents that the Christian Reformed Church wrote in the 1980s, and it's been revised since then, but it's called Our World Belongs to God. And towards the end of it, it talks about what's our mission. And, and here's, here's one of the things it says. Joining the mission of God, the church is sent with the gospel of the kingdom. Joining the mission of God. We're joining our Father at work, just as Jesus joined his Father at work. To call everyone to know and follow Christ and to proclaim to all the assurance that in the name of Jesus there is forgiveness of sin and new life for all who repent and believe. It goes on to add this. The Spirit calls all members to embrace God's mission in their neighborhoods and in the world. Notice it says all members in their neighborhoods and in the world. It doesn't say just around the church building that you gather at. It doesn't say just council members and paid staff of the church. It says the Spirit calls all members. All people in the body of Christ are called into this mission to embrace it in their neighborhoods and in the world. And here's some of the ways. To feed the hungry, bring water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and free the prisoner. They pull that out of Matthew 25, which also reflects on a couple Old Testament passages, including some out of Isaiah. 
This is the posture of the church, to serve the world around us, to enter into the suffering of others and bring into that suffering the grace and peace and presence of Christ. And it ends with this. We repent of leaving this work to a few, for this mission is central to our being. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to believe in Jesus Christ. And, and if we believe in Jesus Christ, whoever believes in Jesus Christ will do the same works that Jesus did. We'll enter into the suffering of others. We'll serve others just the way Christ served. What I love about Scripture is that it doesn't say there's only one way to do this. It doesn't say you have to be an ordained minister to do this. In fact, it says quite the opposite. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In other words, find whatever gift you've been given and find a way to make it useful. Find a way to serve others through it. Find a way to, to use your gifts to be a blessing to the people around you. Don't keep it to yourself. The Spirit has given each person, the youngest members of our church, little Eli, he's got gifts. He's got gifts for this church that we all desperately need. And the Spirit has said, I want little Eli to be part of this community because we need what God has given to him. God's given Sophie gifts. Hi, Sophie. It's good to see you here today. Sophie's here today. I don't know if you saw that. She hasn't been here in a while. Adora's here today. God's given us gifts, each person different gifts. And God doesn't call me to be like Adora. God doesn't call Adora to be like me. God calls Adora to be Adora, me to be me. Each of us are called to use the gifts God has given us and to take those gifts, whatever they may be, and pour them into serving others, meeting the needs of those who are suffering. It doesn't stop there, though. He says, it's because I'm going to the Father. All this is going to happen. You're going to be able to do these works because Jesus is going to the Father. Because he's ascended, we're able to do the works he's been doing. And he unpacks that in the chapters ahead. It's also because the Spirit gets sent, and the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son so that we are not alone, that God's presence is with us, and that God will meet our every need. Here, Jesus says, it's because I'm going to the Father, there, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Not only are we to work and to serve, but we're to pray. We're to pray to the ascended Son, to Jesus Christ, who is ascended and at the right hand of God. We're to pray and ask Him that, that we may be able to serve well, that we may have this the resources we need to serve others, that we may be able to step into the gap where they are suffering and say, Lord, see this one who is suffering. See this community of people who are suffering. And pray to Jesus. And he promises to do it. 
I don't know if you're hearing it in, in there, but, but it is this posture of intercession, whether through the work of our hands or, or through the prayers of our heart. It's this process and, and posture of interceding for others. And it's a posture that the Spirit and Jesus are doing. Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. In some sense, when we're called to engage the world around us and to pray for the world around us, we're called to join the Spirit in what the Spirit is doing. And sometimes we don't even have words. I mean, how do we pray for what's happened in Egypt again this week? How do we pray? How do we pray when we hear of, of such violence that happened on the train out on, outside of Portland, Oregon, and a, a person starts killing others in this hate-filled speech? How do we pray? We can utter little more than, Lord, have mercy. And our hearts are heavy, but that's what the Spirit's doing. And, and we're called to enter in, even when we don't have the words, to come before the Lord and say, Lord, you see what's happened. Have mercy. We don't know how to pray. And we're given this assurance just a few verses later. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right alongside the Holy Spirit, Jesus is there with the Father and the Holy Trinity is interceding for us. The Trinity knows what we're going through. And when we pray and when we serve others, we are joining God in what God is doing on behalf of the world. We're joining in this posture of serving and praying, of interceding for the suffering people in the world. Paul understood this. He flips the order. Uh, he flips the order and, and, and puts prayer first and then the work towards the end. Listen to these words to the Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The way we pray, the way we serve, it's all participating in this work of God to, to restore and reconcile the word, world to himself through Jesus Christ. The deacons have a survey going on, and, and we'll mention it again in the announcements at the end of the service, but they have a survey going on asking us as a congregation, where are we already serving? How, how would we like to serve? If you haven't completed that yet, I encourage you to do so, because it's getting at the heart of what we're called to. We are a people called to serve. And our deacons in this church are called to help us do that well. So I encourage you to fill out that survey and, and help the deacons help you. Help them help you. The other is this posture of prayer, and it's one of our core values, that we are a people of steadfast prayer because we realize that nothing happens. We can do nothing without the grace and strength 
that God gives. Some of us may be aware that Ramadan started last night. It's a, a holy month within the Islamic community. And it's a month in which they do a lot of fasting, but they also do a lot of service projects. And the, the Islamic community also during this time takes a posture of prayer that they ask God to reveal him to, to them. And so there are many Christian groups out there who also join in during this season to pray for the Islamic community and pray that God would reveal Jesus Christ as his son during this time. There's an initiative Greg Sinclair is a part of. Greg Sinclair is one of the uh, people, one of the ministers that our community supports, and he works with churches and Islamic communities throughout Canada and actually throughout North America. And he came and visited our elders last month. And he highlighted to us an initiative that he's a part of, of 30 days of prayer for the Islamic world. I'm going to invite, I've got nine of these here, prayer guide. So I'm going to invite people to come up, nine people in our church. I took one of them in my office to do it over the next 30 days to pray for the Islamic community. So after church, if you're willing to commit to do that, to pray for the next 30 days, feel free to come up and, and get one of these for me. It's one simple way. It's not the only way that we can join in the prayer, but it is one simple way that we can begin joining in this work of interceding for the rest of the world. I end with this. It's a Latin phrase. Ora et labora. Prayer and work. It's the basic posture that has shaped God's people throughout time. It's the basic posture that God gives us as his people as we wait for Jesus to come back. Not a passive waiting, sitting on our hands, looking up to the sky, but a waiting that is engaged in serving others, in entering into the suffering of others, serving them where they're at, and praying for them. Serving. Labora. Praying. Ora. Let's do so. In the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us on our own, that you have sent your Spirit to be with us and to fill us and to lead us into all truth. We thank you for this incredible grace that you give us, the, that you show us how to live while we wait for you to come back and finish your work of making all things new. We thank you for this gift, this gift to work and serve others in the midst of the suffering they're experiencing and to pray and to intercede. You have given us incredible gifts in working and in praying. And we thank you for them. May you help us, Lord, to overcome our inertia and to overcome our tendency to think only of ourselves. Help us to see, Lord, how we might serve with the gifts you have entrusted us and pray with every fiber in our being, even if it's a, a wordless prayer that simply comes up before you. May you hear our prayers. And may you act in Jesus Christ and through the Spirit to make all things new, including us. In Christ we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together in